You know, Marcel Proust? He's the guy you teach. Yeah. French writer. Total loser. Never had a real job. Unrequited love affairs. Gay. Spent 20 years writing a book almost no one reads. But he's also probably the greatest writer since Shakespeare. Anyway, he, uh... He gets down to the end of his life. And he looks back and decides that all those years he suffered, those were the best years of his life. Because they made him who he was. All the years he was happy, you know, total waste. Didn't learn a thing. So, if you sleep until you're 18, ah, oh, think of the suffering you're gonna miss. I mean, high school, high school, those are your prime suffering years. Generation Lost, the show about movies with Bryn. And Jeremy. That doesn't take itself too seriously. How you doing, Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> how you doing, Jeremy? How you fucking doing, you brother? Know how the, you know how the show starts. Mon frere. What's going on, brother? <laughs> Mon frere. Mon frere Jacques. Mon frere Jacques. So that's Brother John. That's Brother John. He's a monk. Or Jack. It seems like it should be Jack because it's I mean, Jacques. I guess it's Jacques. But I think it's John, actually. Um, at least in so the English version of Frere Jacques, they say Brother John. Dudes who are named Jacques, who are French, are named John, actually. Actually, yeah. Not actually, but in English. Actually, yeah. yeah. In, <laughs> like, in normal language, yeah. Like Jose's are actually mm-hmm. Joe. Yes, in normal language. Jesus's are normally Josh. Jesus. Josh. What? Yeah. So Josh is like, is the English Jesus? Joshua. Is, so. is Jesus. I think so. Wow. That's how. I never knew. Like the Anglo Anglification of Jesus is Joshua. So Jesus is what, Latin? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were so Christian. I you know. should know these things. I know, but I forget a lot of it. Do you know what a concordance is? That's the um, the thing in the back, right? The the thing in the back of the book. Yeah, but the Bible has they like publish a book that's like this thick mm. of like every word that's in the Bible in alphabetical order for some reason, right? So just, you can like find like when they talk about vines or whatever, just right? Like, go to that concordance. You're gonna want to. You're gonna want to know. <laughs> Like for, for that for that um for that Christian vineyard you're thinking of starting. Yeah. You're gonna know all the passages about vines, so you can put them on cute little signs <laughs> all around your vineyard for when people come and visit. Exactly. You can talk about when in Song of Solomon they talk about a, a girl's boobs and how they were like deers or whatever. <laughs> like deers? I don't remember. What does that mean? They there's this part in Song of Solomon where he's just like describing a lady he likes, he's mm-hmm. like into, and he's just like your your breasts are like fucking nice fawns or whatever <laughs> fawns of the forest <laughs> it's all just like up until that point it's all just like teachings of christ and whatever and then there's one part that's just like there was this girl the other day <laughs> she had some nice titties <laughs> big big ones by the way uh i know you're not 
you know, you, uh, different different guys have different tastes. Just so Look, you know, it's all, you know, it's I'm fine. a I'm a bit of a big titty guy. <laughs> That's my type. Uh, my name is Solomon. You might as well call me Big Titty. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> my friends call me Big Titty Solomon. <laughs> Not because I have them. Not because I, I like have them. Not because I have them. I'm not fat. I'm, I'm actually normal. in very I'm good shape. <laughs> I'm in very good shape. Especially for the time. You know, some people call me Solomon Hardbody. Yeah. Okay. And not 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 because I'm gay. Yeah, the ladies with big titties, they call me Leonidas. <laughs> <laughs> like the movie that you'll that will eventually come That'll out. That'll eventually come out. By the way, movies. <laughs> you ever heard they're, of? Them? They're eventually going to invent those and. <laughs> And then there'll be a podcast called Generation Lost where we talk about them. And they don't take it too seriously. That's another thing. <laughs> Eventually, people are going to start taking movies pretty seriously. And really not, seriously. But not the Generation Lost podcast. But And definitely not as seriously as I take titties. <laughs> definitely not as seriously as I take titties. That is for certain. That is one thing. I want to be very clear about this. Right. I take titties serious. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is episode whatever of the Twee Thousands. Yeah. Uh, we Seven, are doing six. it something like that i can look but we the entry to this week is a fun one uh it's little miss sunshine we're gonna be talking about this week um but we won't talk about it right now <laughs> even though we have so much to say about it because we first, do we have to get through the weekly segment as we always do of what else did you watch this week and jeremy i must ask <laughs> what did you watch this week thank you for asking uh this week I watched uh, Gambo, and you watched Gambo. We watched the and Dragon you, Show, and you caught up. So you're you. This is your up. first time talking about it on the show. I talked about it a little bit last week. You, but have we can tried, talk a little bit it's more because you've tried to talk about it twice to like no reception. Yeah, I'm, exactly. So <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that we can actually talk about it. A yeah, little yeah. Bit let's now. talk about it now. So t- so Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. It starts with a little cue card, a little title card that's like. 175 years before Daenerys. So yeah. before the before the regular Game of Thrones. This before is, her birth. So we're talking about 190-ish years from the beginning 90 of years Gambo. Oh, uh, 15. She's 15 when it starts. Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah. So basically 200 years before Game of Thrones starts. Yeah. Um, and so this is a totally different thing. None of the characters are in it. They're not born yet. But they're all like, everybody is like descendants of those families. So, or, or ancestors, ancestors of those families. So it's, it's, it's all the, it's all the people that you know and love. It's all the character types you've gotten to know. Kind of. Uh, but none of the ones that you, sorry, I should say the ones that you know, not the ones that you like, because there are no Starks just right off the bat. Zero Starks in this thing. So far, no Starks. No it's Starks. Three episodes in. Zero Starks. And and no Starks. I like this show. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun to kind of enter this this world where there's no expectations mm-hmm. of a bunch of nerds being like, "I can't wait to till they get to this yeah. part or whatever." Well, there is a little bit because there is a book, but it's like it's a much like broader like uh the book that it's based on is written as a historical text so the idea is like as i understand it i didn't read it but um because i don't read um my understanding (laughs) is that uh uh that the book is like split between two historical sources and one of them is like a maester or something that's like super like clinical 
and like super very clearly under the watch sure, of the royal family. Silmarillion type bullshit. Yeah, and then the other one is written by like a dwarf jester and it's like super gossipy and super like obviously like pulpy and bullshit. And so that the idea is that like you're supposed to be kind of trying to like take a balance of the two and figure out like what really happened. That's uh, one book? That's the book, yeah. And Well, that sounds like such a great idea. Yeah, it's really cool. That George oh. R. R. Martin's got some good ideas. I hear he's a uh, pretty good writer. And so apparently this Fire show... Fire and Blood is the name of the book. Yeah, so this show is supposedly kind of like telling what is the truth of that book. Right, the the just straight up reality of yeah. it. So it's about this sort of bitch-ass king who is a coward and... yeah. His name Rhaegar. What he's is it? really the the thing about him is that he's so likable as a regular dude, mm-hmm. but he's just like entirely. He's uh, too big of a pussy to be the king, right? It's and Viserys. Viserys. Uh, he's incredible. The actor is really good. He's good. He's yeah. really really good, because even by be- Game of Thrones standards. Like he's pretty fucking good. You believe him that he just wants to do right by people. Yeah, and he you know, doesn't have the will to do things that are fucking fucked up. And he's in this, he's basically like, if you put a normal dude, like a lib, norm, you know, just a good, kind-hearted guy in this world where there's like, you have to marry for politics. You yeah. have to slay dragons and, and not dragons, but... uh deer and and kill people to like yeah. hold your power and keep and, the and, society and, together and you have to like you you have to like be torn away from things that you love in order to like take care of like really important shit and whatever that's a big right. one for me that i think he does really well as an actor is like he he's very good at playing um like can't i just have a day <laughs> like yeah, his, yeah. his ability to portray that is incredible when he's like having the name day for his son and the guy's like we have to talk about the crab guy and he's, he's like, like <laughs> he's like my son is two years old shut up shut just the leave fuck me alone yeah. leave me alone and like when he's like it's on fucking the politics yeah when when the lannister guy goes to him and he's like hey how's it going uh i got this special spear for you to kill <laughs> the, deer the deer with, with. and he's like oh that's very nice he's like by the way i'd love to marry your daughter and he's like <sighs> <laughs> it's great it's really interesting i've never seen a show it's hard. I don't know if I've ever seen any show, mm. it, w- whether it's been it's like current day politics or you know fantasy or whatever. Like deal with deal with being in that position in not because I feel like it's a kind of a Veep thing. Yeah, you know, like it Veep does it as a very comic thing where it's like all these people are idiots and don't actually care. They're just like vying for power. But this is in a very realistic way where he's like. He didn't ask for this. He's just like trying to fulfill his role right. as the king of an entire land and just doing his best, but like really just wants to be a good person. And yeah. like his and, and duty is like a normal dude. He just wants to do normal stuff. Right. And like his duty like gets in the way of that. Be- yeah. The world around him. And the, I think Game of Thrones, the original Game of Thrones at its best did a really good job of that of like mm-hmm. sh- depicting people who are not i feel like the fantasy the trap fantasy falls into is just like 
showing this sort of like very anarchist lib type of thing of like people are just out for power and everyone out for power is bad. Sure. And so everyone is kind of bad. And and Game of Thrones was really good where it was just like, hey, we're just trying to protect our people and our land. And like some of them are more earnestly trying to do that than others. Yeah. Um, And and it does a good job of like depicting the idea that whether or not everybody is good or bad, like you have to always be on your toes because you don't know who's good or bad. Like you as a viewer are like, Oh, that's a good guy. That's a bad guy. Like, you know, the, the, the Starks generally are good guys. Like you like them. They, they seem like decent people, but like in the world of game of Thrones, everybody looks at the Starks and they're like, are they going to be the ones who fucking like cut my throat? You know? Yeah. Cause they're, cause that just shit just happens sometimes. They're close to the North. They're kind of wild. Like there's a sort of prejudice against people in that way. And then the Lannisters are just like bloodthirsty freaks. But then Jamie ends up being a really kind person in certain yeah, ways. And, and the, the relationship between him and Cersei, even though it's, you know, weird and fucked up. Gross, like, yeah. y- there is like this tenderness to it sometimes where you're like, this is compelling. Right. I, I don't hate this. And like her relationship with, with the little son, you're like, this is so sweet. Like, where is this woman in her, you know, in her, in her public persona? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's like, and, and then it's and like, her, but can that, she show that? That fucking actress is so good because you're like always on your toes as a viewer of like, is she fucking with this person? Like, is yeah. she somehow trying to manipulate her like child? Does she really feel this? Yeah. Or is she just a complete sociopath and is good at performing this? Um, and it, who would it be for? <laughs> you know? Um, so I think so far, House of Dragons. Is that what it's called? House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. Hot D. I'm just calling a dragon show. Uh, <laughs> dragon show really captures a lot of that. The weird looking cute girl who's the king's daughter. Yeah. What's her name? Rhaenerys. Rhaenerys. Um, I'm still getting used to the names. Yeah. It's Demon. <laughs> <laughs> Damon. And, yeah. R- Rhaenyra. Uh, yeah. Rhaenyra is. Uh, she's cool. She's cool. I'm still waiting to like feel like I know her beyond like her trope because right now she's just very yes. tropey. Yes. Whereas like the king Viserys, 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 like I feel like he's really fleshed out and really clear. Yeah, and I get him perfectly. And even Damon, like even though Damon is a bit tropey, like he's a little but, too but he... wild manny for me. But he even still has like a lot of interesting character stuff where I'm like, I get him. Well, but he's like. His intro, where he's like sitting on the throne and, and Rhaenerys is like, shouldn't do that or whatever. Yeah. Like, is he's sort of like, I was initially like, oh, this guy's the cool one. Because he like doesn't give a shit about all this pomp and like circumstance. Right. Uh, but then he's also kind of nuts and kind of fucking people up for no reason. Yeah, he's kind of a fascist and a freak. And, yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh, maybe not. Uh, but he's so he's kind of complicated in that way you're kind of meant to like him at first and then maybe not. Yeah. So I feel like he's, they're doing a good job. And then they just uh, introduced uh, a Targaryen. Mm -hmm. Or no. uh, um, Yeah. No. Oh, um, um, a Lannister. Yeah. Who seems really cool. And he's flirting with Rhaenerys. Yeah. And uh, I love the hunt stuff. I love when they, that they got attacked by a boar. That was really funny. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she like kills it really crazy. I've her, and then they see the white deer 
Like that, I I love that that episode. It was yeah, really good. Good episode. Uh, a lot of people have been complaining about the end being like you know the the way that they get out of the war and whatever is like a little goofy with Damon just like running one v one against the crab guy and whatever. I don't really give a shit. It's I'm not in Gambo for that. I don't really care. Um, get out of the war. How like they're so they're you know Damon and the and the the black guys are are <laughs> they're the black uh, guys all the black guys the other family. Oh oh the 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 hand guy with the with the white dreads. Yeah yeah what I can't remember what their family is called at the moment. Uh, but they're all black I can't people. Either. Um. And uh, they're they're off on their little war with the crab dude, and um, yes, and they're like, we can't get him out of the fucking caves. He's just going to be in now forever. Is it High Tower? I think so. Yeah. No, um, no, no, it's not. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um. <laughs> so they're trying to get them out of the thing, and then they're like, we got to send somebody as as bait. And so Damon like rows over there, and he goes out and he waves the white flag, and he gets everybody to come out, and then he one v ones them for a while, and then the army comes in and swoops in and kills them all. Right. So you're saying people didn't like that? People didn't like it because it's like it's a little able to hold his own for so long. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of thirty seconds in real time. I mean, but it's it's also like it's also like I don't know why would the crab guy have sent everybody out after him? Like I get it, but I'm also just like I don't give a shit. Like I I don't care about that. That's not really what I watched the show for. It's a fantasy show. There's dragons. Yeah, he's a little super powered. It's fine. Who cares? It's fine. And again, like I'm not. I'm here for the intrigue. I'm here for the intrigue between people. Yeah. I'm not here for big battles. I I don't really give a shit what happens in the battles until it's over. Like it's gonna be cool. I'm gonna see some cool action. Yeah. That's gonna be over, and I'm gonna be like, all right, that's it. It's the aftermath that's really important. But I mean, like I personally, I really like a dragon. Mm. I like I like the weird. Arm. I love how weird the dragons are. Yeah. I love how his how Damon's dragon is like too long. It has like <laughs> weird fin leg. It looks like the alien from Nope sometimes. Yeah. Uh it looks sick. It's uh, crazy. The it- the CGI is a little less good, but very serviceable. Mm-hmm. Looks this is a good time. I, I I don't care about that. I think that's, I like how freaky it is this time around too. I like how how fucked up his dragon looks. I like how the enemy so far the crab feeder guy is a dude who fucking like he looks insane yeah he's, he's got like crazy like fucked up skin and like a weird mask it's and, extremely like, elden ring yeah it's 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 so fucked <laughs> yeah and that is great and i like that he um he's scared like he knows he knows there's a dragon coming yeah and he keeps like looking up and there's like all these like insert shots of his eyes just like looking up mm-hmm. that's great he knows what's gonna happen but he doesn't know what to do about it yeah like there's they gotta get this one guy and they're like okay well we'll make sure we'll kill him it's i thought that was a really well made scene i mean yeah does it literally make sense that one guy would be able to do that confidently no but who gives a shit yeah i don't really give a shit about that the one thing i didn't like from this episode (laughs) that i hope they don't keep doing going forward is the opening scene where the guy is getting like crucified onto the thing for the crabs to eat and he's like you fucking piece of shit i hope damon fucking picks his teeth with your bones you fucking asshole and then he sees the dragon and he's like oh come save me my prince and then he just gets stepped on and dies (laughs) it's just like i don't know i was like it's kind of like 
it's a little like adult swim for me that comedy like <laughs> was that I, supposed to be funny i thought so yeah like oh. then he just gets like he says save me my prince and then just instantly gets stepped on and dies like i don't know i thought that was like <laughs> just showing us that coverage of him and whatever is like it seems like we're supposed to have laughed at that. Oh, I guess so. <laughs> like a darkly comic moment or whatever. Maybe you're supposed to be seeing that like Damon doesn't really care about what goes on. But I don't think that's what the intent of I that was. I thought that was more of what it was. But you might be right because well, I did laugh. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They don't need to go. They don't need to try to be funny. Yeah. Um, It's a good show. I, I So far, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So, I don't know. the 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 world is so good, and they're the point of it is so. It seems like I'm I'm happy they like. They're like the point of these shows is to explore characters dealing with political problems in a weird time. Yeah, and like a lot of the characters are human, and have like moral foundations of what they want and like, and what they think is correct and yeah. should happen, and those don't always line up. And that's how wars happen. And so, yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's good. I'm interested to see where it's going because as I understand it, what we are seeing right now is like not even the story yet. Like this all, all this shit is all just like set up for what the actual story of this is supposed really? to be. I don't know what the story is. It's it's like a war that's going to happen, but I don't know really like I know that Renaris already has another actress listed. Yeah, so that's like, what I mean is older. like Yeah, so so right now we're seeing the backstory of what is to be the show. Or she's queen or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. I don't fucking know. Sounds cool. I'm excited. Uh, there it is really interesting how there's just like time jumps. Yeah. Like it's like he has a baby, he marries this girl, next episode it's been 2 years uh which i thought would feel worse yeah it sometimes feels a little bad because it's a little bit like there are times where conversations happen where you're like what did you just not talk about this for two years <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. like when they're talking about the succession and whatever and he's like he's like your succession claim is still strong and and you're like so what have you guys been talking about for two years Nothing. of like family dinners and shit like Nothing. what do you guys do Just ignoring each other yeah <laughs> yeah no you're right and he has like a line to like explain it away where he's like, these past two years, you've been not but a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen you. I barely speak to you. <laughs> You're like, Come on. You're hanging out all the time. He could, you could easily just write that line to be like, I'm constantly telling you your claim is secure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then like also her like, how re- many times do I have to say it before you believe me? Like, I don't really get why she's mad at him for marrying the redhead girl. Cause it's her fucking best friend. Who cares? That's, that's weird. That's better than the, a child. Like you get, you must get it. But like, they're only like two years apart. It's not like that big of a difference. Okay. Like, well, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't really get. It's better than a child, maybe, but it's still like if it was your fucking best friend from your child, you grew up together, you might as well be sisters, you know? I guess. And then your dad is just like, hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Your mom died, and I'm going to fuck your best friend going <laughs> forward. She's going to she's gonna bear you some half-sisters. Isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't help the problem of yeah. like tying the houses together. So, I don't know. I wish there was a little more of her mm-hmm. talking why she's mad. Like I get why she's not saying it directly to him, but she's also not saying it to anyone else. Right. We don't get She needs a new confidant. Yeah, something. 
Anyway, it's a fun show. Check it out. Watch it with us. Check we'll out. Talk check it. out Gambo. We'll, we'll definitely talk about it again. Yeah. Uh, did you watch anything else? I didn't. Okay, I watched a movie. <laughs> Uh, wait, I have to remember what it's called. <laughs> it's so it's called Donald Trump, <laughs> the Chosen. Ooh, <laughs> this is a movie that is really hard to describe because it doesn't really exist anywhere. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, the only place to watch it is on YouTube. Okay, but it's you know two hours long. It, it's a it's a full movie it seems to be it's directed by a guy named wilfredo torres who is some sort of like ex-cop in real life like some sort of weird freak who like sort of did a neil breen and was just like i'm gonna make movies now mm-hmm. but he made this movie called i think it's called the chosen just about this cop that like kills criminals or whatever but then he went back. He became like a QAnon guy after 2016 and then like went back and shot more stuff and then put stuff in the movie to make it seem like he was getting directions from Donald Trump to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a movie where Donald Trump is like at a big hotel and like giving a cop an FBI agent like directions on like how to do the storm or whatever as an action movie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it's fucking indecipherable. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. How's the Trump? The Trump is hilarious because he does a pretty good Trump, but he's so fat. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like a hundred pounds too fat for Trump. Uh-huh. Like his face is like round and, and jiggly. Um, but he like, he, he, it's all, he didn't even like think to re-record himself in the room. Like he just uses other footage from the movie where he's talking to someone else. It's like, you're there directing the movie and, th- and there is stuff in the movie where he's just like older inexplicably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the main character who's like already a 50 year old dude in a leather jacket, you know, mm-hmm. just being like, I'm, I'm the chosen or whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's really uncomfortable to watch cause it's basically about like sex trafficking people, but it's like, it's like him finding out about the, the elite who are like sex trafficking, but the whole movie is basically just shot at a storage facility. Uh-huh. <laughs> how did you, how did you come across this? Uh, my friend Austin told me about it. Uh, and we just sat down. I was just at his house and we watched it. How did you even find this? I don't know. Like, I, I'm trying to find it now. And there's 214 views. <laughs> you are one of 214 people who has watched Donald Trump The Chosen. It's really funny. I'm adding this to my watch later. Uh, but, like, this is... I have... Uh, listeners at home, you have to know, this is under 30 entries of different coverage of donald trump saying i am the chosen one to economically take on china and a bunch of exasperated media figures being like yeah what does he mean by the chosen one <laughs> i can't believe he would say something like that it's endangering our democracy <laughs> there is like five reviews of it on letterboxd 
but not that many. Mm. Um, I, I, I can't even, how many ratings are there? It doesn't, it looks like this is how many ratings there are total. Maybe, maybe 15, 20. Uh, yeah, it's a very, very underground. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is outsider art. This is not even, this isn't like faithful findings level where it's like already become sort of you have you have 214 views on this video and clicking it brings up the this content may be inappropriate for some reasons do you wish to continue somebody of those 214 fucking (laughs) (laughs) what they reported Uh, reported it it, yeah (laughs) i hope i uh i believe we downloaded it just to make sure we had it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they didn't get taken off of YouTube. This is so fucking funny. Uh, but let me just read you the description. Humanity is facing two deadly pandemics. The coronavirus outbreak and violent career criminals being released from prisons. They are kidnapping, raping, killing, and drugging our children. Donald Trump has been empowered by a higher means and was chosen as a leader to find a cure to save millions of lives before it's too late. He has implemented Operation Mindset, a secret society called the Dark Angels. Oh, who have spray painted black like party city masks, (laughs) (laughs) which is a very funny visual. Um, They're sort of like um, they look like Guy Fawkes masks with dudes, Mm. you know. Uh, a secret society called uh, the Dark Angels consists of millions of law-abiding citizens who are fed up with being victimized at the hands of violent criminals. Wow. They are the eyes and ears in the streets who report the criminals' daily activities to Trump. He stands to protect the innocent, the vulnerable, and the weak from all walks of life. We, the people from all over the world, must unite as one and support the man that will implement laws to protect everyone who is being victimized. So that's what the movie is about. But it, it is... Uh, basically not a movie like it's it's it just jumps from thing to thing nonsensically uh i can't really describe to you the plot because it'll just be like a shot of a clock and then like (laughs) trump going like "Eh, we gotta call the chosen one and (laughs) and like do this and then he'll just be like at a storage (laughs) facility and then talking to a lady about something and then she starts crying and then he starts like shooting people do you think he works at the storage facility the guy who made this no i think he probably just like that was where he could shoot (laughs) um there's other rooms and stuff there's a house Mm -hmm. and then at the very end it's just like he has a family he's like at oh yeah oh (laughs) yeah it opens with his family just like leaving like the mom taking all the kids and putting them in the car and like leaving from him Mm because he's so crazy (laughs) so there's all these like weird like little glimpses of his life where it's like this happened to you yeah for sure (laughs) like you went down the QAnon spiral right and now your family family is fucking like left but he dramatizes it heightens that's so Um, funny but he's just like he literally talks like Joe Pesci, uh, like he has this high voice. <laughs> he has like has a lisp a little bit, it, mm. but he like is he's the action star. It's has the action unbelievable, uh, terrible. <laughs> I mean, there hardly is is any. I mean, like there's guns and stuff, and like 
Can I tell you, I've I've oh, been... there's this one guy. Oh my god, there's a part. Oh, I'm for, I'm remembering some of the best stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the main bad guys who are like, we do crime, <laughs> and they like, just like one of them is. I for a second I thought it was the guy who plays Santa in I Think You Should Leave. Uh huh. You seen that show? Yeah. You know, he looks just looks and talks just like him. Like he's just like laughing. And then there's another guy who's just doing the Heath Leather. Heath Leather Joker. One more try. Heath Ledger Joker. (laughs) (laughs) He's just doing the Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's so funny (laughs) because he's just like screaming, laughing all the time. Why so serious? (laughs) Hello. Why so serious? (laughs) Like, I'm so evil. I'm a spooky clown. But he doesn't have the ma- makeup wow. on or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like his lips. doing that <laughs> stuff. And he's just like a henchman. He gets like six shots in the whole movie, but he's mm. like eating it. He's scarfing it down. It's very worth watching, I think. It's very bad. It's uh, It's embarrassing. But I enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. I guess it's time to move to the feature presentation. It's time <laughs> for our feature presentation. Uh, this episode of the Twee Thousands, we will be talking about Little Miss Sunshine. That's right. Direct- I always forget the directors of this movie. Yeah, it's two d- directors. Um, they are a husband and wife team. Oh. Named Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton. Um, they don't have a fun... They don't have a fun... Like Wachowskis or Coen Brothers type. Yeah, uh, they're just Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. They've directed a couple other movies, but uh, not a lot. I'm not surprised. Surprisingly few. Uh, I guess most notably Battle of the Sexes, which is with Emma Stone and and uh, and Steve Carell. Um, but I'm surprised because Little Miss Sunshine is like. It was a big hit. I really don't know where they went yeah. or what they did. Maybe they just didn't want to. Yeah, because this came out in 2006, and their next movie didn't come out for six years. So, yeah. And this is, I mean, we're talking about an $8 million budget with a $101 million return. That's, was, a, that's a massive indie hit. It was a smash hit, and I believe it was an award-winning hit. Um, it was, yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture. It won... It was nominated uh, for... An Academy Award for Best Picture. For Best Picture, yeah, and and Jesus. it won Best Original Screenplay. Um, the girl who plays Olive was up for Best Supporting Actress. Oh yeah, and um, what's his name? Uh, fucking the Paul old Dana? guy. Um, oh, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin was up. I think he actually might have won Best Supporting Actor. Uh, which is kind of crazy because I don't think he's that good in this. Yeah, I think he's, he's okay. He's fun to watch. He's fun, but he's kind of. I mean. Of the of the people, I think he's <laughs> like I mean I think like he's okay. I think Paul Dano is acting circles around him. I think Steve Carell is acting circles around him. Is this Paul Dan? Okay, this is Paul Dano's first big movie, I believe. It's his yeah. first big movie. I'm I'm trying to see where might he- even be his first movie. Period. No, he'd been in a couple things, but very small roles. Uh, he was in something called Lie, The Emperor's Club, Taking Lives, The Girl Next Door. The Ballad of Jack and Rose, real indie shit. Um, yeah. he was he was not leading the charge, but this this movie was his first 
movie to blow up and kind of put him on people's radar. Then he's in Fast Food Nation. And then right after that, There'll Be Blood. Mm -hmm. Like the year after he's in There'll Be Blood. So he's just like a wonderkin. Yeah. Um, So this movie is... It, it it hits a lot of the themes we've been talking about yeah. through this series more more pointedly and on purpose I think than a lo- than a lot of basically all of them except for I heard Huckabees. Um, but why don't you tell us what this sh- movie's about? Sure. Um, so we're we're following the uh, the Hoover family. Uh, the it's i i so something i i was interested in is that that the girl who plays olive was up for best supporting actress because to me olive's the main character yeah right this is olive's movie she's she just has so little screen time it's an ensemble movie it's an ensemble movie but but i'd say she's the driving she's the central figure she is little miss sunshine right you know um, so Olive is a little girl. She's eight years old, seven years old, something like that. She's uh, um, she she's really into beauty pageants. She wants to be in beauty pageants. She gets the opportunity to be in one in California. Her family is um, delightfully uh, uh, eccentric fractured. and fractured and fucked up. Greg Kinnear is her uh, dad. Dad. Um, well, I don't know because Paul Dano is from a previous marriage. I can't tell if Olive is um oh it's not super clear but at the very least uh uh greg Kinnear is the patriarch of the family he uh is a motivational speaker and life coach type character he's trying to sell a book about these nine steps towards not being a loser or whatever <laughs> right uh and he's just really really intense about it he's like he's a big like uh like snap into character kind of guy he's a big like uh you like like when he wants to talk about his philosophy, he like really snaps into a stage persona, like even with his own family. Yes. And it's really unsettling and weird. Uh, and he tends to just piss everybody off and nobody likes him. <laughs> uh, his wife, Cheryl Hoover is played by America's sweetheart, absolute national treasure, Tony Collette. <laughs> uh, just, just always swinging for the fences in every movie. She's absolutely in. incredible actress. Uh, and she, is uh divorced working really hard trying to keep her family together uh she's the only one bringing home money she's uh i mean that's kind of her her main thing right she just like really cares about everybody and she's working really hard and she can't really she can't carry it all on her own but nobody's helping her right um what does she do for work yeah Uh, it's not clear but she has a name tag so it's nothing that makes a lot of money uh, and she's bringing home like fried chicken for dinner all the time, and you know that's a big problem for Alan Arca. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Arkin. Alan Arkin. It's not Alan Alda, who I always <laughs> almost want to say. Yeah. So, well, with that in mind, uh, Alan Arkin is uh, is the grandfather. That's uh, Greg Kinnear's dad. Uh, he got kicked out of a retirement community for uh, doing heroin. And now he's hooked on heroin and living at their house, uh, sleeping on the couch. And he's miserable and making everybody else's life hell as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Paul Dano is Dwayne, who uh, wants to be an Air Force test pilot like Bryn was. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and uh, when I was his age, when she was his age uh, and he uh, has taken a vow of silence that he will only break when he becomes an Air Force pilot. 
or when he goes to interview, I assume. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but he's he's on a vow of silence. That's his yeah. interesting little thing. And uh, he, he did it because of Friedrich Nietzsche. I guess. Yeah, I don't really understand why. When Friedrich Nietzsche was in his last years of life, he um, saw a horse being beaten by a carriage driver, and he was so heartbroken. He was clearly like dying of syphilis or something, but he like threw himself in front of the guy on the horse, and this like basically ruined his life. He Mm. stopped talking for almost two years and then died. Interesting. He was completely silent and then died. Well, I would know that if I ever read... (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, so that's... One of my favorite movies is kind of about that. <laughs> that's that's the main family, and then Steve Carell uh, joins them pretty much right away. Uh, he is uh, Tony Collette's brother. He's gay. He's a scholar on um, Proust, the writer. Um, which you've read. Which I've, of course, <laughs> read, because I read a lot of books. Yeah. And um, Steve Carell has uh, tried to kill himself uh, over a heartbreak and uh, just his life generally spiraling and falling apart. And uh, he needs to go live with them uh, because he can't be alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's everybody, right? Yeah, that's all That's all the that's main, our main, main players. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so Olive gets the opportunity to go be in a, uh, in a beauty pageant in California. Uh, she's very excited uh, due to various uh, intertwining problems uh, that require different people uh nobody can not go on this trip so the entire family has to go on the trip they're in this beat up old volkswagen uh (laughs) minibus i was trying to remember before i put this movie on like why they all have to go Mm -hmm. and it's really kind of hand waved even here like a little bit i kind of makes sense i mean it's like it's it's all stuff that makes sense why why does the dad have to go the dad has to go because tony collette can't drive stick (laughs) oh yeah so she can't drive the car uh, they have another car, but uh, Alan Arkin is old and can't get in and out of it because it's too low to the ground. Mm-hmm. So they need to take the bus, uh, the van, because because he needs to be able to get in and out. They don't want to leave. And she Steve and he Carell. doesn't want to. He doesn't want to not go because he coached Olive, right? Oh so yeah, that he makes, wants to go. That makes it so the four of them have to go. And then they don't want to leave Dwayne and and uh, yeah, and it's unfair to their teenage son to leave him alone with the suicidal brother. Well, they keep, they keep. That's one of the biggest mistakes I think they make. Is like, they would be good for each other. Like at the end of the movie, they would be good for each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are good for each other. Just like talk it out. Sure. Um, but it's still. I mean, it's like it's a teenager. It's a, it's undue pressure to place on a child to be like you're in charge of your right. uncle who might kill himself. They're afraid that that Frank might kill himself. And, and even if he doesn't, it's just like it's an unfair thing to do to him. It makes sense. So, but it it does. It is funny that it's kind of the wrong thing to do. Yeah. But whatever. So they all have to go on this little road trip, which isn't that long. It's a twelve hour thing. They have yeah. to drive for one day, stay overnight, and then go to California. And, and and do it. They could have done it like just the yeah, they do it the day before and then they should just be right next to it's weird how long they have to drive the second day. I guess they get like real stopped up. Well they, they get sidetracked because he goes to um Oh no, he doesn't take them all to, to to confront his book guy. No, no, he rides the motorcycle. Right. Anyway, the point is, um, it's it's a road trip. You got kids. I mean, it like you know, it always takes an extra like fifty percent longer. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just because you got to like take bathroom breaks, eat, whatever. They like, probably do six hours and six hours. Exactly, and they thought yeah. that was the best idea. And then it turns out they barely make it. Right. Um, which, yes. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they get on the road and then they're consistently just getting hamstrung mm-hmm. by problems. Uh, I think one of the worst or the most like scripty parts in the movie is they go to a um, gas station and a lot of their problems arise like mm. at the gas station where it's like Steve Carell's ex and his like rival are just, just like happen. at this little gas station in the middle of nowhere. That's, they don't, I get why they put, do it, but it's like, okay. but it's also like, I don't know. It doesn't really seem to impact much in the story. Do they really need that? Uh, yeah. It didn't really do much for it. That I think is probably the worst like writing trope thing they do. And then at the same time, Greg Kinnear is getting a phone call that like his book deal is not happening. Yeah. It's, it's very like there, there's definitely like this feeling of like, Oh, we're getting into the dark night of the soul part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like you're definitely starting to feel like, okay, we're getting into script land here. Um, they, they tend to do that. They tend to like bunch up the traumatic things. Uh, and everybody goes through some sort of trauma on this trip. Grandpa dies, you yeah. know, like, Paul Dano finds out that he's colorblind. That one I didn't love because of the way that Steve Carell kind of like ruins the scene a little bit where he's like, yeah, explaining he's like, I to think the you audience. might be colorblind. You can't fly jets if you're colorblind. Yeah. Like what, why would he say that to him? Like, it's just such it's a weird so rude. line. Also, and, and you he have clearly him, knows, he clearly knows he that. He knows that. And you can very easily in the next scene, give it to the audience when Tony Collette is like, what happened? And he says, He's colorblind. You can't fly jets if you're not, if you're colorblind. You know, like he doesn't have to say it's a Paul Dano. It's weird that he says the it's Paul Dano weird, doesn't make sense. And it's a clear like thing they were worried about in editing. Yes, it like feels like they're like, can we? Can you just say this in case we need it? And then they felt like they needed it. Yeah. Wrong decision. I feel. And I I always felt this way. Yeah. I remember seeing it in high school and being like, what? Yeah. Why would he say I that? I feel to like him? I remember that also. Uh. There's a little no movie's perfect Mm -hmm. the movie is really well written really well acted yeah um there's these we're just mentioning these parts because they're some of the only like dense in the movie um but that scene is great Mm -hmm. paul dano absolutely flipping out like he's gonna explode yeah uh and then running out and screaming uh, and then apologizing for everything he says because he's a teenager um all that stuff is good um but then, so everyone goes through trauma and then they finally get to the pageant, which is funny because it's like no one has actually heard of what a pageant is. Everyone's kind of like, well, this is weird. Yeah, it's like they're all <laughs> expect. Well, it's like, I mean, part of it is it's like they are small town people going to, you know, a wealthy California suburb or whatever. Like they're encountering this culture for the first time. Like to them, they're just like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of cute kids like Olive who like, yeah. You know, they just want to like be cute and dance and whatever. And like Olive is adorable. Yes. You know, and she's incredible in this movie. It's such an interesting like situation they set up there where like, so the final twist of the movie, I guess, is that like Olive finally gets up there and we get to see her dance routine that she's working on with her grandpa the whole time. And it turns out that she's like doing stripper moves, right? right. She's doing like a full on. Like she's not stripping, but she's like doing stripper dancing and and well, she is stripping. I mean, she a like, little bit, but she's stripping dance like a leotard. It's not like no, 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 it's not. It's not creepy. 
to the viewer of the movie, but it it feels like it's supposed to be to the audience. Mm-hmm. But there's also this sort of like there's a funny juxtaposition there of like they're so outraged by her doing stripper moves while they are watching these girls in like bikinis with like spray like sprayed on cleavage like they're drag queens right. like dance around on stage and get like oogled by this fucking creep guy. <laughs> it's yeah. very interesting. They're clearly being sexualized and then her heightening it to a creepy old man's idea of what a pageant might be. Right. Cause Alan Arkin designed this, this whole thing, uh, is um is offensive to them it being thrown in their face is the idea yes. i think and 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 it's interesting too from a viewer's perspective that you are watching these kids do the pageants and you're unsettled and you're like this is creepy and fucked up and then when olive does actual stripping it's you're cute. like this is adorable yeah, it's ad- i love her <laughs> she's so she's she the best win. yeah i want her to win <laughs> to to uh super freak yeah um yeah and then they are outraged and then the whole family gets on stage to support her yeah uh in a it, in a scene that shouldn't work in my opinion mm-hmm. like on paper this is kind of dumb but it's so well acted and so endearing yeah that that it really does work they they all get on stage and do a dance and then they all uh, there's a hard cut and apparently they've been arrested yeah <laughs> um for something i don't know whatever um and then the cops are like you can go but you can never be in a pageant in california again and they're like i'd see ya. and then they get in their shitty car that is basically broken down yeah it's honking for no reason it doesn't work they have to push it to start it and then they blow past the the parking lot uh jib and uh and then they they head back home and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So it's it's a really hard movie to summarize because it's kind of a collection of character studies, mm-hmm. um, which usually an ensemble usually isn't that. I think. I think a, an ensemble movie is usually like a couple stories kind of woven together, but this movie is like multiples, like five stories that are kind of all aligned just because they're. A family, but it's kind and of... And they're all happening in the same place, right. basically. Before I get into the things I want to say about it, what what was your history with it? Uh, I mean, I saw it when it came out. I had it on DVD. I liked it. Uh, it's it's a good movie. I like it. Oh, you you, you uh, had it on DVD? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I watched I think it. I had most of these movies on DVD. <laughs> I definitely had Garden State, I definitely and had I Garden definitely State. had I Heart Huckabees. I might have i've i very like i didn't have elizabeth town because i didn't like it in the theater (laughs) i didn't see it i definitely had have a recollection of like a remember when blockbuster would sell the movie but it would be like in a wrong case it was Mm. like too blocky and it had like a a frosty plastic cover like they put the slip in a different thing i think that's how my copy of huckabees was Mm. if i had it the one i watched a bunch um yeah I, I still own royal tenenbaums um this movie I, I definitely watched once and i watched it in the theater and i liked it a lot i thought it was great um i think looking back on it i didn't like it as much as i like it now mm-hmm. and it's because i was a child yeah the person i identified with most in this movie was paul dano yeah 
Um, and I don't really identify with any of these people now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because they're all sort of different variants of selfish. Um, and I don't think I recognized what this movie was kind of going for when I was a kid, which is that it doesn't really matter. You shouldn't really, hopefully you don't see yourself in any of these people. Right. Because the whole point is that they're all so selfish that they don't even really know what they're doing. (laughs) Like they don't know what a beauty pageant is. They haven't taken any time to know what she's going to do. This child who now has no guidance is going to do a strip tease in front of people (laughs) to super freak. And they don't know that not a single one of them does then they're her parents <laughs> right and they like initially they don't even want to go on the trip the first thing that they say is like well is your cousin going to be there or like whoever it is that they know who lives in california who gets her into the pageant yeah they're like is she going to be there to like to to take care of her and they're like no she's got to go do her what is it she's got to go go to her equestrian club and he's like she does that horse shit every weekend <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they don't care. Like, yeah. every one of them is so fucking self-absorbed uh, and so deep in their own, like, pain or desire yeah. for, you know, power or well, I don't security. know. I mean, like, Tony Collette is interesting in this because I kind of feel she- like she's... It's, 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 I think it's a movie a little bit about, like, neglect, right? And, like, the various places that neglect come from where, yeah. like, where... um the dad is neglectful because he's so singularly focused on his dream. And like, he's, he's neglecting his family. He's not bringing in any money for them. He doesn't know what Olive's up to. He doesn't care what Olive's up to. So he's just in his own world like that. Whereas like, I think Tony Collette, her, her thing is that she's neglecting because she has no capability to help anybody because she's so, snowed in on like just trying to keep the family afloat you know right but and and that's a sort of a different thing in that it's they're not necessarily blaming her right or calling her selfish but she's so myopically focused on money it's like she has so much responsibility that she's neglecting you're right. Like right. she's neglecting it, actually it, it, being it, involved in her kid's life. Right. It makes me think of like my mom growing up where I'm like, like she was a single mom who had two jobs. Like she came home from her nine to five and went to work at a fucking restaurant for the rest of the night. Right. And it's like, that's what she needed to do to keep our family going. But it also meant that like, I had nobody like watching me and making sure I was okay most of the time. Yeah. And that's, that's tough as a kid, but it's also like, I don't know. It's it's different than being like a life coach guy being like, I want to make the nine steps, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, and uh, so I think it's kind of showing the different places where that neglect forms, right? Right. And the different places where like lack of communication comes in. Mm. Like no one's asking the grandpa like what's going on or what this is about or if it's appropriate or... Yeah. Why do they trust him to do that? <laughs> yeah, when he's like so wildly, like publicly gross all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't really get much of him. Like really, he just like is always talking about fucking and doing heroin just yeah. openly, which I mean, that part is cool. I mean, if I was 80, 90 years old, like why not do heroin? Right. Uh, I guess unless people are relying on you, which he, which they are. And mm-hmm. then he accidentally overdoses and dies. 
in this movie, which is, it's one thing I didn't remember about this movie is how much it vacillates from actually being sad and how much it is a dark comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that scene is pretty tough. Like when like, uh, not Abigail, Olive. Olive finds, you know, the grandpa dead and then they go to the hospital. Um, like that seems really sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And like when, when, uh, and really well acted, like when, um, Greg Kinnear, like when he pulls up the sheet and looks under and he's fucking, yeah. And he's really sad. And like, 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 this is so fucking stupid. His, yeah. His, his, like his performance of God damn it. Dad (laughs) is like so good. Cause you're just like, I like, I feel it so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's tough. And, and, but then the scene right after that, they're sneaking the body out becomes like almost a Scooby-Doo. Yeah, like. uh-huh. <laughs> I also, I, I, I didn't realize this. I had, so I had the DVD and I didn't realize that like what I had just filed away as the end of the movie was an alternate ending from the DVD. Oh, I really? was watching it and I'm like, what the fuck? That's not how it ends. What happens? <laughs> they the steal alternate? the trophy. Oh, <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the movie in in one of the I guess like alternate endings from the DVD special features, they um they sneak in and steal the trophy like they stole the body and there's like all of doing lookout and they like run out holding because it's like a really long one <laughs> so they're like holding it like they were holding the body as they run out to the oh, to that's the van. Funny, why did they take that out? I don't know. Maybe they thought you wouldn't like them as much. Yeah, the real trophy is that they find each other. Yeah. It's a better message, I suppose, but that does sound funny. It's a very funny ending. I liked it better. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny. It's not laugh. It's generally not like gut bustingly funny, but no. it's very darkly funny. A lot. And there's of a lot of like there's a lot of like charming funny stuff. Like there's um, like I love when they're they're arguing about something and uh olive has like the headphones on and she like pulls them off for a second to be like what are you guys talking about and he's like politics and she's like oh and puts it back <laughs> on immediately <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny there's a lot of i i always think about um this is a great movie for like small time actors there's a lot of small moments that yeah. are really memorable small performances i should say that are really really super memorable um Steve the, Carell is so good in this well, movie. Well, Steve Carell, but Steve Carell is like main cast. I mean, like there's little things oh, like oh. Um, the waitress at the... Uh, at Walt and uh, Walt and Hank are in this movie. That's from right, Breaking yeah. Breaking Bad. Uh-huh, yeah. Brian Cranston is great. Just randomly in it. But Dean, there's, there's, Dean Norris. there's the waitress at the place that they stop for breakfast uh, when... Uh, she, and, oh, the and, ice cream girl. And when she like comes back with their drinks and then gives her the ice cream and she's like, a la Modi, right? Yeah. And like, it's it's such a small little thing, but it's so memorable because it's so real. It's yeah. such a real thing that like a cute waitress says to like a cute little girl. And like, it just, it, it just rings so perfectly true. And like uh, the guy at the fucking pageant, the, the host of the pageant <laughs> is like, he just is a show stealer. <laughs> I, I don't know who that guy is or what happened to him or anything, but like what a fucking performance from I him. I think that guy is uh doing been a lot the, more um, stuff. Doing the 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 um the um, purple mountain. Oh yeah, America the Beautiful. Majesty <laughs> Uh yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's uh, in a lot of stuff. He's in uh, Galaxy Quest, he's mm-hmm. in Zodiac. 
Uh, he plays a lot of gay people. Okay. Um, hey, good then, for him. And then um, um, Mary Lynn, what is her last Rajskub, the like classic. Oh no! Wait, I'm thinking of uh, Beth Grant. Mm. Beth Grant is just like there's a, f- a f- sort of famous tweet. About, oh yeah, 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 about Beth Grant where she's like, "This lady's showing up in every movie as the biggest bitch you've ever seen. <laughs> she must have like fat stacks of on being a bitch." And then she replied and being like, "Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious." Because she's in so many movies as like just the yeah, worst. Yeah, she's in um uh Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. Yeah pushing daisy and she and she has the best line in donnie darko the only like the most quotable line in the movie outside of like the suck a fuck scene <laughs> is is her saying like sometimes i doubt your commitment to sparkle, sparkle motion, motion. <laughs> <laughs> she also says the he told me to forcibly insert the card into my anus yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah she rules yeah she, beth grant is a is a classic yeah national treasure uh-huh uh yeah she's in a ton of stuff rain man child's play uh, flatliners, <laughs> no country for old men. She's great, um, but yeah, has a ton of like little bit parts that are really good. Um, but I think it's. I think this movie doesn't have an overarching thing, but it feels so mid two thousands. Yes, I think there's. I mean, there's definitely stuff here. There's when I say overarching thing, I mean like it doesn't have as pointed of a. Uh, like a societal commentary as, oh, sure, as yeah. Huckabee's. No, I think it's more about like, I think it's more about families and like the way that family structures were in, in, in that in time period, like the way that the, the, the specific ways in which families were dysfunctional at the time and were becoming more dysfunctional in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think it has more to say about, about that than anything else, but there are a lot of, Twee thousands bingo card things in here. We've got sad guy money shot. It's literally the title card. Yeah, um, we've got uh, we've got the the soundtrack uh, has literally the Sufjan Stevens Sufjan song. Sufjan Stevens, which uh, this movie more than more than any uh, feels so unnecessary and unearned. Mm. Um, I really felt like it made me hate any like I, like as, as I was watching it, I was just like, I don't like songs and movies anymore because of this kind of stuff yeah or just like i don't know what i'm supposed to be feeling because chicago's playing yeah it's just like swelling and big and and like there's there's this interesting like visual thing that's happening in the movie of like uh like it's it's drenched in golden light all the time yeah that kind of makes it well it kind of feels like what they're trying to push is this like this feeling of of uh, of like positivity that comes from like the idea of family where like what's happening inside of this, like, cause once we get inside the thing, it's all gray. Right. But every time we're outside of the van, it's like golden and everything is beautiful. And like all the <laughs> shots are really like vast and like, they just have the fucking lens like wide open. Like yeah, everything yeah. you see is just beautiful. And then inside <laughs> it is this cramped little thing where everybody's fighting all the time. That's true. <laughs> so I think it's kind of talking, it's kind of trying to like, uh, uh, make us think about like the warm ideal of the family versus like the reality of the family. That's fair. Um, but the other thing I was going to say is that for Twee Thousand stuff, I think something that I'm going to put onto the the general bingo card is I think that a big hallmark of these movies is like 
like capital C cinematography, like very <laughs> like very draw attention to itself cinematography. Very sure. like I mean it's it's we kick the project off with Wes Anderson for a reason, you and know. He, like yeah. we're seeing like every one of these movies so far, it's like they really love a shot. You know, mm-hmm. they really love to have a shot that's like you for you to be like, hmm, someone's earning that paycheck. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick called them uh, non-submersible units, which mm. is what I generally call them nowadays when I'm talking with my film friends about them. Uh, the kinds of stuff that is just like, it stays in culture. Like th- in Stanley Kubrick's movies, you know, the bone being thrown into the air mm-hmm. in the matrix, the bullet time thing. Matrix has a bunch of non-submersible units, but like the things that like, the way I like to think about it is like stuff that will get referenced in cartoons later. Uh huh. Um, these movies all really want one. Yeah. And almost never really succeed, but like yeah. try real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the way the yellow bus is shot, they're like, one of these is going to stick. Yeah. Uh, as like, it sticks, you know, parks directly in the middle of the frame or whatever, like right before Paul Dano jumps out. And, and with like the biggest, like the biggest shot you've ever seen of a tiny little van yeah. they love doing it they, they love, love it. it it's all over this movie is <laughs> just these big big huge like the the van is like really tiny in the middle of the frame you're seeing a lot of sky a lot of like the background they're pay- they're parking in front of a fucking like one of those oil birds you know yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it's pretty it, but the thing is it looks great. It does look great. It looks really, really good. There's a lot of verite stuff, like a lot of handheld stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all locked off, but then it's it's fun when they're just like, and then we're going to do a really good looking shot, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I feel like there's not a ton of rhyme or reason. I think your your idea of why they have the big open shots of the golden stuff is good, but like... There's definitely stuff where it's like they just had an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, this will look nice. Yeah. They're just like, we have this beautiful environment that we're doing this in. Why not take advantage? Yeah. But I also think that there's, I, I haven't quite put my finger on what I think it is, but there's something about like the juxtaposition of like highway infrastructure with really sparse, deserted places. Oh. Because they keep on like being, like they'll keep showing you like, these like gigantic West coast overpasses that are like these huge, you know, like 30 feet high, like multiple exits going overhead. And then yeah. they pull off the highway and there's like two houses and nothing. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on? Like, what's the idea here? What are you trying to tell us by showing us these two things next to each other so often? You right. know? I mean, that is how that area is. Yeah. But the editing of it is, you're right. It calls attention, and it makes me wonder why. Mm-hmm. Um, Sad guy, money shot, capital C cinematography. Uh, um, uh, the indie rock soundtrack, of course. Um, There's also only one black person in this movie. Yes, and her role. I don't. I was thinking about as soon as she showed up. Yeah, you're like, okay, what's going on? Let's. I was uh, like, keep but a it, sharp eye on it's, it. It's not. It's not the same. It's not the same. She's just an actress who mm-hmm. happens to be black. But at the same time... She is there to kill the vibe. She's there to be the only person in the movie who just shuts down Greg Kinnear. Mm-hmm. Like, immediately. Um, and sort of gives him a... 
because he's like crying and not crying but he's like whining about he's like we need to go here we it's all about me and like he just is being very Karen-y or whatever and she's just like you are not the only person who's had a loved one die today yeah like sorry this is my job uh and is sort of immediately shut down and it doesn't have this movie could be about black people it's not specifically white people problems mm-hmm. in the same way we've had before. Yeah. Uh, it could be a Mexican family. It could be whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's not specifically white people problems in that way. And I don't think that actress functions as like what we've been talking about, but it is interesting that when she shows up, it's almost noticeable because she's the only black person in the entire movie mm-hmm. and she shuts down Greg Kinnear so handily. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I felt, I, how did you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of on the same wavelength in terms of that. Like, I think that it, it was, it was noticeable, but only because we're particularly looking out for it now as a thing in these movies. Right. I don't, I don't necessarily think there's much to read into it beyond like, that's kind of like even if she was a white person like i think that that's kind of where he needed to be in the story at that time yes um but the other thing uh the other thing that i've noticed in these movies now is like is is a suburban setting that's starting to form where like we begin this you know we we begin this micro genre in new york city and tokyo and you know like we're we're like in we're in urban settings right and yeah even ghost worlds in like la basically yeah and then the way that we've kind of like the way that we've made this like a mass consumable is is to move it to like not just suburbia but like like because garden state is like the new jersey suburb so it's like a it's a city suburb but then from there it's like these are getting like more and more like middle america yeah like right? where is i heart huckabees even well i heart huckabees is kind of la but it's like that's that that's different i guess it's like but i'm thinking of like uh i'm thinking of this i'm thinking of napoleon dynamite i'm mm-hmm. thinking of like juno elizabeth town elizabeth town yeah we're getting very small town middle america e, mm-hmm. which is interesting um, I'm not sure what to make of it, except to say that, like, I think that a, a big part of the, a big part of what's happening in this time period is like is is the marketing of urban lifestyles to suburban teens, right? It's like this is the rise yeah. of urban outfitters. This is like Absolutely. when we're starting to sell the idea of like you can be a cool guy and move to the city, <laughs> or you can sort of bring that city ideals, these city mindsets you can buy that Mm -hmm. that can be anywhere you want it to be. Cause these cool people, these interesting movies are made there. I don't know. It's weird. And I feel like this movie isn't intentionally doing that. Yeah. You know, like it's not, that was, I guess what I was thinking was like, maybe that's something to do with the juxtaposition of the highways with the sparse, uh, little Mm -hmm. settings, right. Is like, is kind of like, calling attention to like the 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 uh uh, i don't know the sprawl of things like yeah i mean i'm probably just like this is this is just me (laughs) on some some jeremy shit on some city skylines bullshit but i'm like i i I mean i can't help but look at it and 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 think of like the massive the massive environmental toll and the massive like infrastructure that it takes to 
keep alive these like tiny little places and whatever. And I mean, when we're talking about family and we're talking about like the, you know, the grand idea of the family versus like the small cold reality of the family, like maybe we are calling attention to like the American dream of the, the, you know, the suburban home and like what the actual cost of that is. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I it, mean, probably it, not because it's a cute little movie about a little girl. But, but at the same time, I think <laughs> that the movie. Is. I, but I think the movie is definitely about about trying to like Paul Dano is not trying to have a good family. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to leave, <laughs> and he's a part of it. Like there's, you know. Steve Carell is coming back to a, a kind of family that he's never really been. I mean, their brother and sister. Right. Uh, but he's relying on his family. But like, not everybody wants to be a family unit, you know? Right. Um, and they, the sort of message of the movie is like, you can't try to have a family by ignoring your family. <laughs> right. Uh, you can only be a family by hanging out and like helping each other. Um, and I don't know, it, it ends up kind of being an interesting, I guess, negation of that fact that, that idea of like family is a specific thing, you know, that it's like, you have to have all this money or you have to like, you know, you have to secure things and you have to live in a certain place or whatever. And it's really just like whoever's around <laughs> and whoever you like rely on and care about and help, like that's your family. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of fits what you're saying. Um, I don't know if the, the directors are that specifically being like, look at this world that we're in and how it's sort of like encroaching on those things. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a fun way to read it. It is a fun way to read it. <laughs> One last thing I want to talk about before we sign off is um, actually very fun action in this movie. Oh, yeah. There's like a lot of... It's something I didn't remember at all about this movie. Is when like, they, Once they have to start pushing the car. When they have to start pushing the car, that's fun. But really, it's that last sequence of like rushing to get into the thing where like you have this fun thing where it's like one-way roads that they can't <laughs> get around, but they can't stop the car because you've like established a problem for it. Right. And so they if have you to stop like, the car. You stop the car. Yeah. So they have to like bust through this chain to get onto a boardwalk, <laughs> and then they go too far. They overshoot it, so they have, they have to, to like turn around. They have to do a whip turn around it. Big U-turn. Big fun, fun little action sequences that like I'd like to see more of this. Where like in 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 a comedy movie, having like. Uh, like non-violent action you know like uh, you never see non-violent action anymore <laughs> you know it's always like if it's That's action true. oriented it's always about fighting or killing or shooting or whatever i like just a car that's got to drive you know <laughs> like show me more of that shit right right there is a there is a lot of that stuff in the 80s and 90s yeah where it's just like the wacky thing was like something's off the rails or like you're yeah. carrying a bunch of stuff and it's flying everywhere, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 
action or or yeah someone's on roller skates and going down a, a an escalator and people yeah. have to jump out of the way like or, uh, um, but they really did it or like a car that degrades over time i love that that's one of my favorite movie tropes i mean it's definitely is, is a car one. that like breaks more and more as the movie goes <laughs> like in what like vacation like uh yeah vacation uh plane like plane trains and automobiles tommy boy like dumb and dumber kind of yeah uh, I love that shit. Yeah, that's I love, a good trope. I love a car that's broken by the end. So this movie is a sort of like, it's just a good script, well acted, nicely made. Nothing's super splashy. It's mm-hmm. definitely of its time, though. Like it feels like twenty odd six. Yeah, for sure. And it's like inundated with the problems of the world at the time. It's written from the perspective of. I mean, the word we haven't said this episode is alienation Mm -hmm. because it's weird because they kind of are, but kind of by their own design. And I think what's interesting is that like it doesn't grapple with it specifically in the same way all these other movies have because Mm. it's not about one specific person and that the people they're all alienated from each other because they're all so consumed with making themselves feel a certain way yeah i mean it is definitely still a seeking connection in an alienating world movie but it's more about like it's more about reestablishing a connection that already existed right it's it's they sure. are a family that has grown apart and maybe it's about, i mean like maybe they were never really together sure, but i mean even know, like just you know you have to be connected to a baby you know like, right yeah just, exactly you just kind of like you don't really have a choice there <laughs> um, yeah exactly I mean, she's a little kid. Yeah. She's like eight years old or something. So it, it definitely feels, yeah, like it's less about like, what do I do with my life? And I think for it's for the best. Like it's it's a much better movie because everyone's everyone feels stuck and waiting for something. And at the end of the movie, it's sort of like, what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. And it is sort of it almost has a similar message to garden state of like, just like, I don't know, find peace where you are, I guess, which is a little flimsy, but I think the things they are stressed about are stupid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like almost all of them are like putting so much undue weight on, except for Tony Collette on stuff that shouldn't matter. Um, and, and uh, like, especially Greg Kinnear and especially Steve Carell, who, mm. you know, did some pretty rough stuff, it sounds like, to get, like, fired from his job and, yeah. like, fuck a student and stuff and then try to kill himself uh, because his, like, rival started dating that student or whatever. And became a genius and whatever. And- right. It's just, like he he's all fucked up because he's let himself like get too deep in the weeds with that shit. So just sort of getting over that and being like, Hey, life is about like helping people (laughs) and like being nice to people um, and, and caring about the people around you. So I think it's a much, a much more nicely structured and pointed movie than, than we're usually seeing because it's not about like the self as much. It's about sort of like, letting go of that so i liked it i liked it i definitely recommend it definitely recommend it it, it's an interesting entry here because it feels like it's 
the first movie maybe that's not commenting on the 2000s and is only here because the 2000s have become so deeply a part of the cultural milieu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so deeply a part of the, the cultural milieu that it, that that good movies are like this now. Yes. Cuz that's really what it is, right? Is this the reason this is on here and the 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 reason we're covering it is that like it gets nominated for best picture. Like this is a good movie. Yeah. Like this it is It wins two Academy Awards it, it for best original screenplay. It does fucking gangbusters. It does 101 million dollars on an 8 million budget. Like <laughs> it just does it it's a good ass movie. Yeah. And it and it has the aesthetic qualities of all these movies. And the, and 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 good the sort of f- floundering waning genre of like small adult drama has to be this now mm-hmm. squid and the whale has to be this you know like this little miss sunshine has to be this like these movies can only exist as like this indie brand yeah uh and then what's next next is you know i believe yeah. <laughs> yeah and then we'll see it get insanely corrupted and bad <laughs> so this is the last one I'll probably recommend. Actually, I can't remember about the very last one if I re- like it or not. I don't, so. I don't think I ever even saw it. Well, we'll find out. So I do recommend this. It's very funny. It's very touching. It's a good movie. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the show. That's the episode. <laughs> this has been Generation Loss. Please go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash generation loss and give us $5 and you will get an extra bonus episode every week. You'll get access to the discord where we hang out and you can watch the movie before we talk about it. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at gen pod. You can follow us individually from there. Listen to Jeremy's other show, Al Bummer. That's right. Uh, listen to... I actually just started a new podcast with my other friend, Ben. Whoa. That's just sort of a chill thing. We just talk about The Cure. It's called Close to Me. You better only talk about The Cure. I swear to God, if you start talking about movies... It's not about movies. And if you do, you better take yourself fucking seriously. <laughs> it's not serious. Um, but yeah, that one's sort of just... It's funny, because as I've get, gotten older, podcasts are sort of just like, I want to hang out with this friend a little more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. that's oh. most of our guests are <laughs> just somebody who i'm like i haven't seen them in a while it'd be let's, nice let's invite them over yeah uh so that's that's fun um but yeah check that out check out bp Pilatus. you know all the stuff until you next know time all the stuff. <laughs> until next time that's, that's movies, movies.